When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Speed City with John Massengill, Les Kaiser, and Jonathan Green. It's the fastest hour on the radio, Speed City. Good evening, gearheads. Welcome to Speed City. We are live from Austin, Texas, here on this between Christmas and New Year weekend. Yeah, it's a weird time of year, isn't it? Especially yeah. for motorsport. Yeah, we're going to be looking back tonight. We're going to look back at 2019. Lots of Formula One talk. Looking back at the decade. You know, yeah. We're about to enter a new decade here and look at back at some of the uh, statistics. And Is there a new term that we're going to have to start used for the 20s? You know? Yeah, the, well, the tw- it is kind of weird, isn't it? It's like uh, the 2000s. That's easy. The 2010s, I guess. is. So can we reset the hash button then? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely needs to be reset. And I meant oh, that in the most polite way. Well, we, let's, let's just look <laughs> at it. Maybe turn it up to 11? Yeah. Let's just look at it as the decade. That way the other three right. years are, okay. are, are, which were great. So, yeah, we're going to talk about, uh, and we also have some really fantastic interviews that you got, Jonathan. Not recent interviews, but no. truly timeless with Brian Redman and Chris Amon. Yeah, and uh, Brian's still with us, only just because he got stuck in the Dorian uh, yeah. storm in Bahamas lately. Uh, but in his 80s, sadly, uh, Chris Amon now passed away. But I did speak to him in 2013, and I thought it was very relevant because we've all been watching the movie Ford versus Ferrari. And, of course, Chris Amon was the guy that actually won it. So why wouldn't it be nice to hear his thoughts on the whole story of Carroll Shelby and that attempt by Ford to take on Ferrari at Le Mans? So, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, we, we mentioned a moment ago before we came on, the thing I like is that there are people that I know have next to zero interest in yeah. motorsports that have seen this, and now they're they've got some interest building up. And I I got to say that that's wonderful for the sport. I yeah, think between it is too. that that and, and the Netflix series for Formula One, those two fantastic, uh, you know, marketing tools for motorsport. Yeah, and the funny the funny thing is, Les, and you, you just touched on it there. I I you know I am I don't think I've ever been a gearhead. You know you know my knowledge of of cars and and so on is not great, not deep. But my interest has always been racing drivers and racing and the humans that do it and why they do it and all the periphery that goes with it, both from a broadcast point of view, from a mechanical point of view, from a team point of view. I, I love the sport because of the way it is in a human endeavor that involves in a Formula One team, maybe 80 people have something to do with that car, but one guy gets yeah. to risk his life, which is still an incredible thing. Um, it's so much more out there than, let's say, American football, where the quarterback is an important part, but he's an integral part of a team um, that, you know, and so on and so forth. Whereas motorsports. But they're all so very different. visible, too. Yeah. You know, not like a race driver where he's the only one that the. Television cameras, or following. it comes down to one guy's responsibility to get it right at the time, and we, you know, we can be quick to jump at Vettel when he makes a yeah. mistake, or or Bottas if he's not as quick uh, as Hamilton. But when you really think about it, it's an incredible sport. So it's always been the human aspect that's always interests me. Yeah, and both of those, the Netflix and Ford yeah. versus Ferrari movie, are all, are really about the human side. I mean, that the Netflix series for Formula One, that's. It fills in the blanks for people. Yeah, that's that's what people have talked about to me. Is they say, you know, I I got so into the the, the stories and and the strategies and things behind the scenes that they now want to watch the sport. They didn't. They, there were people that had no interest at all in the sport. Yeah, that now want to watch the sport. Well, they want to see is, the other half. That is true of this whole new genre of uh, effectively behind the scenes stuff, and it's been done with American football. You can see a hard knocks. You can see against. Um, uh, all or yeah. nothing. Um, these are really, I mean, you know, you don't have have to have any interest in American football to see the story of these teams and how they get together and how they, right. you know, th- there was a great story a few years ago about the Houston uh, Texans picking their quarterback and they had two quarterbacks who, and they didn't know which one and they were all behind the scenes and you you get to see Bill O'Brien picking effectively and you get to see their, 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 their backstories. And I think that's true. You know, sport is really about humans, and, and yeah. uh, I think that's once you get into these, I highly recommend going on Netflix or, or ESPN uh, and, and looking up these hard knocks and all or nothing. Um, 
stories because they're fantastic. Yeah. Well, I want to talk for the first part of the show. I want to talk about Formula One and 2019 and the last decade. And I think let's start. You know, Les, you had some stories that you wanted to talk about that were specifically 2019. Let's do that first and then look at the decade. Oh, yeah. You know, 2019, you know, it it was somewhat predictable. We all kind of went there with that. But there were a lot of things, some records that put up, and and you can find these on Formula1.com. But uh, total front road lockouts was big this year. And that's because Ferrari and Mercedes have almost evened evened up now. There's one, you know, situation of it that keeps them apart. And so, uh, you know, to me, that's really amazing. says a lot about, the history of Ferrari says a lot about the history of Mercedes and what they've done. Uh, to me, that's you know that's going to be something we're going to see continue to go on uh, this next year. So, but you're I, thinking historically, it, what is it? Sixty five front row front row lockouts now. <clears throat> excuse me, but for uh, for Ferrari, but you know you think of the history of Ferrari and total number of wins in the sport. And all that, you think, oh, Ferraris certainly have an advantage. But, man, for, with Mercedes' dominance these last five, six years, it's just, uh, you know, they've, they're now up to 62 front row lockouts. I so. think, you know, what I see in this is it's not just that one car and one driver, you know, qualified. It's that the team was there, you know, side by side in both drivers, both cars, uh, which, you know, goes back to behind the scenes. The, the entire team, the entire organization – worked this well and both drivers are deserving and you can say that about either one of those teams that uh, there's a lot more aspect when you're trying to coordinate and having two drivers two cars all of that competing equally so uh, you know 2020 is going to be great uh, i'm excited to see what ferrari does with it yeah yeah me too actually um i think it's going to be an interesting new era um for formula one and and, and, and you know we always talk about the new decade, I do think there is a, a really a really interesting sense of the future, um, given that the twenty one rules are coming in um, with given, Liberty as the well, owner you and know. Liberty now finally with their feet, I would say firmly under the yeah. table and making their own decisions in their own era. Whereas the last couple of years has, of course, been you know pretty much dominated by the old school. Um, you know, and I think there'll be more changes to come in Formula One, and I think it is being dragged into the modern era. It has to. It has no choice now. Um, uh, You know, I think everybody understands what Bernie did was was phenomenal, but I don't think he could last in this new... Uh, social media yeah. area. He he refused to accept it when it when it you know when it started to come in, and now of course Liberty have taken over, opened a marketing department, opened a you know a social media um, campaign, and digitized effectively Formula One, esports, all the rest of it. I think it's now becoming a modern sport, and 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 I say hats off, you know. And and the way the the level that he ignored it. I mean the fact that they yeah. did they did not have a YouTube channel and. Their Facebook and Twitter were sure. just non-existent, and oh. Les's favorite story about yeah. Lewis Hamilton being <laughs> fine for not for using Twitter, Twitter or, yeah. or Instagram, uh, whatever yeah, it was. Snapchat the, from yeah. the paddock told you don't have broadcast rights. Yeah, you. It's like really, <laughs> yeah. The degree that Bernie went to was just astounding, and, and, and that it. I think was where, to a certain extent, uh, Indy uh, were streets ahead um, of Formula One in that respect, uh, and yeah. continue to be so. Uh, their their media. Their way of doing, their model, I think, is well worth um, a very close inspection by Liberty um, because they've got it right. I mean, you know, the junkets, the the 500 alone, me and and Les have been a couple of times. I mean, the month of May, I mean, these guys, three days before the event, are all over America. I'm not talking in cities, on talk shows, bringing, you know, talking about the event. And Formula One are starting to do that now. You'll see Hamilton in New York. We took a couple of drivers to NASA, as you know. Um, these events in Chicago and L.A., it's starting to happen, and I, I, it, I, it needs to happen. It's funny. Uh, I just remembered something. That I watched, you know, the end of the year, ESPN has all their – they were talking about their photographs and their plays and everything, and they were, they were going through and they were showing iconic plays and iconic photographs, ma- mainly plays, right? And they'd show LeBron or they'd show Tom Brady or whatever, and they'd show them – you know, doing something amazing. And when they got to Formula One, they just showed a picture of Lewis Hamilton on the podium. It was like, come on, ESPN. <laughs> Can you give me, you know. We know you got the stock. <laughs> let's see the iconic, you know, where Vettel went off in the grass in Canada and, and then, you know, pushed Hamilton up against the wall. They might not have the replay, replay, replay rights. <laughs> <laughs> well, then they're, 
There's that. There's true. Well, hey, we got a caller on the line. Uh, by the way, if you want to join the show, 512-643-LIVE, 512-643-5483. We have Daniel from Illinois. Illinois. Hey, Daniel, how's it going? How are you doing today? Pretty good. How's it going, man? Not bad. I've called in a couple of times through the year, and I haven't had a chance to call in more, but I always enjoy the conversation. Yeah. Well, um, well what's on your mind tonight? I, when I, I started watching you guys on the live stream, <clears throat> excuse me, and you guys were talking about kind of Ferrari's struggles still, and I think, you know, in the current era, their biggest struggles have still been the um, really the tires getting them to work because they just seem so inconsistent with the tire use. And then basically their entire aero strategy has been based around this low drag concept that really did not pay them the dividends that they were looking for this year because it gave them great straight line speed. Then the second you got yaw on the car and you'd go into that turning, it was just losing all the downforce, and they were giving all the speed back in the corners. And that's where Mercedes just kept cleaning their clock, unless it was tracks like Monza. And even on Monza, Mercedes was really right with them for most of that. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I wonder if if – I mean, I know that was probably one of their biggest problems. But when I think of Ferrari's problems in 2019, they were they, the thing that stands out to me is strategic decision making. Poor decision. They made a lot of blunders. Yeah, they, a they lot really, of blunders. They would, they would either leave. Excuse me. Um, they would either leave Vettel out to dry mm-hmm. and to benefit, or just leave him out too long. Or they would, when Leclerc was really the better car, they would leave him out to benefit Vettel and I think Vettel for his part wasn't seeming to be able to make the strategy work I mean in the in the Red Bull dominant years you know they 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 would be able to do with Vettel what they used to do with Schumacher and basically say okay you need to bag in 25 fours and he would just do it over and over and over and over and over Mm -hmm. whereas in the Ferrari he just hasn't had that consistency to make a strategy work and do what he's needed to do because either the car isn't there or he himself is making too many errors over driving the car. You know, uh, Daniel, I was about to say, you made me think, because we're as well as looking back, we're looking ahead. And one of the big stories I think for 2020 will be what, what an important year it's going to be for Sebastian Vettel. He either steps up and proves why he was a four-time world champion or he's going to literally go down in a, in a blaze of you know blaze of flames because Leclerc's only going to get better. Vettel has got the car, but he's like you say, he's either overdriving it, he's becoming petulant, he's becoming frustrated, and you know I feel for him because he is a great champion. But do you do you agree with me that that, that next year, given that they should have a you know an equal or better car than this year, uh, he's got to step up against his kid. I agree 100%. Leclerc is no doubt the next chapter at Ferrari. He is technical. He is passionate. He drives, um, you know, he has a ton of backbone. I don't want to say ruthlessness, but he's got a huge backbone, and we see him use it with Verstappen. And even with Vettel, he's not going to be pushed around by anybody. He is truly a young gun and, and really a young charger. Vettel is getting to that point in career where it's either, hey, he really shows, hey, I've got the fight to stay here, or it's time to start thinking about the next chapter. He just had his second or third kid towards the end yeah. of last year. And at some point, the family kind of starts calling. And it's different when you're a young, single guy in Formula One because the track is everything and it's just partying nonstop. But once, <laughs> once the family becomes involved, you know, the kids want you home more. You know, theoretically, the wife wants you home more unless your wife doesn't like you. And then, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, I think... Vettel, at this point, I think next year is really do or die for him. Yeah. And I think the, the changing of the car is um, is going to be an interesting thing. And I yeah, just, I came across point. on on, um, on in the news somewhere, and I shared it to my Twitter feed, Daniel Harris F1 on Twitter. Um, and basically, it looks like they're going to adopt the Mercedes style front nose. If this if this drawing is true, and I have nothing that says that it is or isn't true, it's basically just a concept that they think that they found somewhere, I guess. But it was basically they're going to adopt a narrower style of the Mercedes front nose. So finally, the, you know, you've been, I've been wondering myself for the last two, three, four years why Ferrari has pushed on with the, the, that front nose style they have as opposed to the kind of more uniform, um, rounded front nose that the Mercedes has been running because I don't think the Ferrari one has been paying aero benefits. But it looks like they're going to adopt it and give it a go. Because yeah. going into 2021, it's all reset. 
And I think Ferrari has to really show that in the current regulations, they can really take the fight to Mercedes. Otherwise, they're basically saying it's going to be a throwaway year. And you're going to find out quick whether it works or doesn't. You, you, I was very interested. You started off with a very technical um, insight there about Ferrari. Do you think that that is true also of Haas? Because we've heard from Gunter. We've heard from, you know, what the Haas guys, how they struggled with their own um, problems with trying to get uh, mechanical grip from the tires. Do you think that they had a similar issue? I, I do. And that's, and that's kind of the hit or the hit or missness, for lack of a better term, with the Pirelli tires is that yeah. teams either have that ability to get them to work. Mercedes, Red Bull, um, those names come to mind right off the draft. But even to a lesser extent, Force India, though I never thought I would say that in my life. Yeah. Um, but Ferrari just they either get them to work and absolutely blitz everybody, or they don't work and they might as well go home. You know, and, I, and I think really, you know, because they went to that weird, uh, what was it, a pull rod suspension for a couple of years and tried to make that work to switch things up, and that blew up in their faces. And I think as, as opposed to just either poaching some guys from Pirelli, which I'm sure some people do, <laughs> they they need to figure out to get those tires to work. Otherwise, they're they're never going to get on track with and, it or get the consistency that they're looking for. And Gunther said very specifically, we, we actually mm. have played this interview. I don't have it in, at my fingertips, but he said the problem is is that they have an extremely narrow window mm -hmm. of operating temperature. Correct. And that's what it is. You know, you fall outside <clears throat> either way, too hot, too cold, and everything just falls apart. But well, and, and, and worse than that, if you get those tires too hot and overheat them, they're toast. Yeah. It isn't. That's why when they do qualifying runs or even when during the race, you'll see them put in a really, really quick lap and then they'll back off for a lap and cool them off and then they'll go again. Because if you overheat those tires, you are now all of a sudden in really bad shape. And if you do it a quarter of the way into the stint, well, now you're going to give up 20 laps. Yeah. And I think, and, that, and even, even during the Bridgestone Michelin years, they would always talk about how the Michelins you would hear have a wider operating window than the Bridgestones because the Bridgestones were really made for Ferrari. That was they took other clients on basically to help pay for the tires, but the Bridgestones were made for Ferrari, and they didn't really give a crap about anybody else. That's true. <laughs> you know, you guys, y'all were talking a minute ago about Vettel and saying this is the year he's got to do it right. Well, wait a minute, you could take this exact same conversation and play it a year ago. We were all saying the same thing a year ago because remember the season before Vettel was having trouble. He imploded. Okay, you know, and and so, but are you know how many more of these last? You know, this is the final year. Are we going to give Vettel? No, here's here I mean, is the difference of this year is Charles Leclerc now set a new record for Ferrari being the youngest driver that uh, won a race for Ferrari. Yeah. So this is new. And I, you don't have anybody else I that's think, had that. I'm sorry to cut you off. I didn't mean to. I think I think really before they didn't want to get rid of Vettel because Leclerc was so new and they wanted to see yeah. how he was going to gel. And a Ferrari really works things like a gearbox. They want to take somebody, slot them in and have that gear work perfectly. Hmm. And if Leclerc wasn't going to mesh up or cause a whole bunch of drama and really blow up, then they had Vettel. They could say, Hey, we have continuity. We can get rid of this young upstart pain in the, you know what? <laughs> and we're okay. Cause we still have Vettel. Now Leclerc came in, basically you know landed a few body blows on Vettel and one to the jaw because he was he was a revelation this year and really mm. I think at some points he was the baseline so now they have that consistency issue kind of kind of taken care of whereas if Vettel bombs this year and overdrives and just kind of makes those same mistakes and crashes out and just makes very un Vettel like errors for the tops of his career they can say they can kind of moonlight him like they like they tried to do a Schumacher at the end of 06 and yeah. say, you know what, you know, we're turning the page. We have we have our new chapter. Vettel's a great champion, which he is. He has four championships. He doesn't know anybody anything. If yeah. he wants to go and play golf and drink with Kimmy, that's what he can do, <laughs> and no one can really judge him because we all want to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, wouldn't it be the best night of your life if you could ever <laughs> remember it? And let's don't forget about Leclerc's five new five year contract either, boys. I think Ferrari has stated their yeah. their commitment very clearly with that. Hey, well, that I think that. That's part of it too. Whereas if Vettel, if Leclerc had come in and done terrible, that five-year yeah. contract wouldn't be there. It would be maybe a one or a two-year, and they'll kind of roll the dice and see if it pans out. And if it doesn't work out, then he's gone. But with Vettel, you know, Leclerc came in, really showed that he can just take that car and drive the crap out of it. 
And they said, fine, you know, we'll give you, we, got, we see that in you. We'll give you this five-year investment and, let, and mm-hmm. don't make any mistakes. He's going to get paid as well in those five <laughs> years, no doubt. Yeah. But with, but then Vettel's looking at that going, okay, you know, if, if I don't live up to it this year, either they're going to let me go or he's going to become kind of the de facto number two. And they're going to say, hey, Leclerc's beating the snot out of you, either put up or shut up. And I think for this year, it's going to be crucial because especially going into new technical regulations in 2021, where it's going to be a big investment for the team, let alone the drivers, because there's going to be a lot of development work that goes in on the driver's side. <clears throat> and if if Ferrari don't have confidence in Vettel, I think they're going to turn that page to Leclerc, let him handle the majority of the, the development work, and just kind of start sunsetting Vettel because they got people on the pipeline. Ferrari, sure. Ferrari have a deep bench they can go to. They got Giovinazzi oh, yeah. that's coming up, and if he can quit crashing, he'll be really quick. The deepest bench, probably. Well, hey, Daniel, we are we got to head to a break. We really appreciate you calling in with your fantastic insight. We appreciate. It. I remember you calling before. And stay tuned. Yeah, wait till you hear oh, about. Yeah. Wait till you hear about Chris Amon at Ferrari. Yeah, coming up later in the show. Listen to these interviews we have next. Watch them online too, because we got the video with them too. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Appreciate you calling. Thank you so much, gentlemen. You have a great weekend. You Thanks, too. Dude. All right, we'll be back after a quick break. At Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives, only water, malt, hops, and yeast, and absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town in your favorite store or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company, born, bred, and brewed in Texas. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. When the whole family comes together to watch the game, nobody wants to miss a second of the action to run to the grocery store. With Instacart, you can get all your weekly groceries in as fast as an hour. Less time shopping means more game time. Let's go. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum per order. Additional terms apply. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Austin's Talk, 1370. Hello, I'm Felipe Massa, and this is Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. That was uh, Sergio Perez. I mean, uh, Felipe Massa bringing us back. And I was thinking about, a minute ago, the decade that was the 2010s. Ferrari, we win an entire Formula One decade without a championship for Ferrari. The last time was Raikkonen and Massa in 2007. Well, you know, the irony is, though, they went through a similar period after Andretti, uh, believe it or not, before Schumacher's era, where they went something like, I don't know, 20, over 20 years without a championship. So, you know, Ferrari, you know, Ferrari are the oldest team in Formula One. um, And it's interesting you know, you, you mentioned Mercedes and against Ferrari. You know, you let's not forget that Mercedes pulled out of motor racing in 1955 yeah, after the after, after, the, after a huge crash at Le Mans, um, and said that and, and because they you know they were felt so terrible about what happened, it was one of the worst disasters in motor racing history, um, and so you know um, the rivalry between Mercedes and Ferrari could have been so much deeper and longer um, had Mercedes decided to carry on and that's why ferrari's you know heritage is so strong in in formula one terms 
Yeah. And uh, well, let's let's go back to you had a couple more points about yeah the you know the, the 2019 uh, next season. one's probably not something to brag on. At least I wouldn't. <laughs> the most races without a pole position is currently held by a driver who's currently driving. Roman Grosjean. No. Uh, Hulkenberg. Well, wait, Grosjean's Hul- got to be up there. Hulkenberg got to be. Only have the Hulkenberg's the... definitely got the asset of winning Le Mans, but never yeah, winning, getting a podium. In just thinking, if it's if it's lifetime, it's got to be somebody who's been in the sport longer, like like Grosjean. Um, Sergio Perez. Ah. 176 GPs started, not a single pole position. Who's second? That's 12 more starts than Roman Grosjean. Ah, Roman Grosjean. So, yeah, you're not far from that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that go on with that. You know, another one, uh, most races before a podium finish. Hulkenberg, because he's not going yet. <laughs> no, that goes to Carlos Sainz. Who actually got a who had a podium, 101 yeah. okay. races before his 2019 Brazilian race. Huh. Okay. It just shows you how. I mean, again, you know, I talked about the human factor. Uh, you know, what a sport where one guy, Hamilton, in this particular era, yeah. Schumacher in the year before, you know, you get the right combination of car Ooh. and driver, you get all the accolades, and you go down as the goat. Um, you know, uh, or you could do, um, and yet. It's 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 really kind of hit and miss as to who. Okay. Okay. Well, let's Formula forget one, about the drivers. Most let's... most points for drivers in the decade, right? Lewis Hamilton's first. Yeah. The second is actually a pretty easy guess, but how close they are. You know who's second, right? Vettel. Vettel's second. So points thirty-one seventy-five for Lewis Hamilton. Thirty-one seventy-five. Yeah, and twenty-eight sixty for Vettel. Three hundred. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's got four world titles. less. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, remember, Vettel was up against an interesting era. Who's at, third? At Red Bull when he was with, with Weber, because mm. they were both winning races. Yeah. Then. Is that Max? No. Third? Any good? Any guess, Jonathan? Uh, the, sorry, most points? Uh, yeah, third behind Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel. In points. In points, yeah. Current driver? Uh, no, not Oh, of current. all time? No, no, no. In, in the, the, in the in decade. The decade. In the 2010s. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Ooh, um, Massa. Nope. So the next, the next four are very close. Ross, Nico Rosberg, with fifteen nineteen. Mm-hmm. Fernando Alonso with thirteen twenty two. Botas. Wow. Twelve eighty nine. He's done that well then. Yeah. And then Kimi Räikkönen. Oh yeah. Actually, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. They, they, you know, Mercedes and Ferrari drivers makes sense. There you go. But I all thought right. that was a nice dovetail to all yeah, the others. Yeah, well, I like well, these let's stats. forget about let's forget about the drivers go for on, a then. minute. Fastest pit stop we saw. Oh, Do you yeah. recall uh, that one? Uh, it's yeah. Red Bull is it? No, what? Yeah. No, no, no. Red Bull, right? Is it and Red Bull? One point nine. Yeah. One point eight two at Interlagos. And it was Hogan. yeah, yeah. They, and they they Max did is, they said it twice in 2019. Fastest lap. I mean, yep. fastest the uh, previous one was 188 set during the German GP. So, that yeah. is insane <laughs> when you think about it. I can't I mean, do a lot yeah. in 1.8. 14 guys around a car. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Four I, wheels off, complete stop, and and leave. That's insane. I can't do a lot in 1.82 seconds. I can, <laughs> Man. There's ways, so many jokes there. Here's a good one for you. Um, <laughs> some of them might, have been might, said. <laughs> might differ with that one. There's, but. There's, a, there's some good stats. So these are number of races by decade, right? So 1950, there were 84 races. 1960s, 100 races. 70s, 144. 80s, 156. The 90s, 162. Uh, the 2000s, 174. And the 2010s, 198. So... More calendar events. Which, more... again, makes our sport so hard compared to, let's say, a basketball or an American football where, frankly, the, 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 the sort of, you know, the rules have not changed. Whereas in Formula One, the number of races, the point scoring, um, like back in the 50s, you only got six points, I believe, uh, down the uh, for the whole list of, of driver points. So a lot harder to score championship points. Yeah. Yeah. For example. So here's a here's an exact contrasting statistic. Nineteen. Oh. So this is the number of drivers to start a race in that decade. Nineteen fifties, uh, two hundred ninety nine drivers. Nineteen sixties, one hundred ninety one. Seventies, one hundred fifty five. Eighties, one hundred two. Nineties, ninety six. Uh, two thousand seventy one, and in the two thousand tens, only sixty six. So you know, 
a, a dramatic decrease, the exact yeah. opposite of the other statistics. statistics well, and yeah. why that was, was because back in the early days, um, yeah. you did get privateer entries and people, r- racing drivers in the early days were doing both Formula One and Formula Two. And, and you would see them entering various different races. And like you say, the number of uh, world championship races was less. So, and you weren't on contract and there wasn't the money being earned either. So they, they were almost, you know, job gigging um, per weekend. And they would try to race every weekend if they could. Yeah. Uh, any more? I've got a, I can keep going for hours with these stats. Uh, but we do have some great interviews. Where's our timestamp? You know what? Let's go ahead and take a break because we have a couple of fantastic interviews that you got to stay tuned for because we've got uh, Brian Redman and Chris Amon. So you listen to Speed City Live from Austin back after a quick break. traditional Tex-Mex, look no further than an Austin favorite, one in a million. Serving original family recipes since 1980 and located just minutes from downtown at 2300 East Cesar Chavez, one in a million has your Tex-Mex fix every day of the week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. Breakfast is served all day. Homemade migas, enchiladas, and menudo. And try the Don Juan taco. Some say it's big enough to feed a family of four. One in a million. Online at oneinamillion.com. At Circle Brewing, the belief is less is more when it comes to brewing a better beer. You won't find any chemicals or additives. Only water, malt, hops, and yeast. And absolutely nothing else. Just simple ingredients and outstanding taste. It's German purity with Texas ingenuity. Find the brews on tap all over town in your favorite store or drop by the tap room at 2340 West Breaker Lane. Open Thursday and Friday nights and weekends. Log on to circlebrewing.com. Circle Brewing Company. Born, bred, and brewed in Texas. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Austin's Talk 1370. Hey, this is Clint Boyer, and you've been listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Clint Boyer. When did we get that? I, I think uh, USGP. All right, yeah. Yeah, don't you remember? He was he was in, uh, I guess he was in the hospitalic, right? Hey, when, hospitalic. when yeah. can we get to do our Tony Stewart interview again? <laughs> can we can we replay that again? Oh, uh, we've got to. If right. you haven't heard Let, our interview with Tony let's, Stewart. Let's put that on next week's show because it's it's a doozy. Ah, uh, it's great. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Let's just put Tony Stewart on it. That's all we need. Oh, man. It, we just sat there enthralled, didn't we? Well, yeah, because, it's, it's because pretty- when you reach that position and, and you're Tony Stewart, you say exactly what you want. 
yeah. whenever you want. And he was great, man. Especially you if you drive a Prius. Well, yeah. The, the favorite part was, <laughs> yeah. what did he say? Stupid cars for stupid, stupid people. people. <laughs> <laughs> but, but one of the interesting things he did say was that NASCAR would be Coda. perfect for Coda. Yes, I knew you. That, oh, was, yeah. that was probably the, I the most up important on that. thing he I said. I think that would be awesome. Well, and, and the other thing, you know, he's very business savvy, as, as Mally and as fun as he is, but he's very business savvy. And he goes, not to take a race away from, you know, Eddie Gossage up in Fort Worth. He goes, but in addition to it, this is, yeah, a, I agree. This is a different style of race. And yeah. so, uh, yeah. Let's not was, forget how many people are within 200 miles of Austin with the same reason Formula One came to <laughs> Dallas, Houston, San Antonio. In Austin, yeah. how many yeah. people is that? How many? No, it's Thirty million numbers. people. Eighty million like? in the in the in the whole sort of yeah. Houston, I, Austin. Eighty. Wow. Eighty million. If you include Houston, San Antonio, Dallas, Austin. Yeah, it's definitely one of the most densely populated little squares. Let so. me try something. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Let's go racing, boys. Okay. That's uh, that's my NASCAR start. What do you okay. Think? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'll never forget Scared we had this me. caller call it. We were talking NASCAR and this caller called and he goes, I was flipping down the radio dial and I heard this British guy talking NASCAR. NASCAR. He said, I, I didn't know what he was talking about, but I had to stop and listen to that. <laughs> that's it. You know, Jimmy, Jim, hey, I'm going to be big on to NASCAR this year. Jimmy's last swan song year. Jimmy Johnson, that is. Yep. He's my favorite. And uh, you can't beat his record. It's unbelievable. Uh, it's up there with the greats. And uh, he's announced his retirement, and his last year will be 2020. Nice. Yep. Hey, well, let's jump into our interviews. We've okay. got time. So let's. You want to do Chris Seaman? Once. Yeah. I, you, listen, I've been I've been just chomping at the bit to put this air. You've had it a while. Yeah. Chris Seaman was a good friend of mine, and that's and that's not an easy thing to say, but. Uh, uh, sadly, he passed away a couple of years ago, uh, and I did a long interview with him in 2013. He is the well, was the patron of the Toyota Racing Series and was a um, um, and a lot a more and a lot more and a huge influence on New Zealand motorsport as he was a great racing driver. Drove in Formula One. Uh, in fact, t- talking to stats, he was one of the greatest drivers never to win a Formula One race. But interestingly enough, one of the great wins he did have was for Ford. In 1966, at Le Mans. And the funny thing is, we've all seen the movie, Ford versus Ferrari, uh, about that famous race. And I smiled to myself because I thought, I know I've got an interview somewhere. And I do. And here it is. We've heard from Ken Miles. We've heard from Carol Shelby. We've (laughs) seen the film. How about the guy that actually won the race? Here's what Chris Amon had to say about racing that GT40 at Le Mans in 1966. Um, something that certainly helped my career a lot. I, at the end of 64, I joined the McLaren, uh, Bruce McLaren and his team, which was very much in its infancy. And at that point, purely doing sports cars, uh, or uh, forerunners of the Can-Am um, series. Um, along with that, I also um, I drove for um, Carroll Shelby at uh, Le Mans in 64 in a um, Daytona Coupe uh, Cobra and um, uh, when Carroll got involved in the um, Ford program to win Le Mans in 65 he asked me to drive um, drive for him there and I um, shared a uh, uh, Mark, what were they, Mark IIs, a 7 litre car with Phil Hill in the 65 uh, Le Mans, and uh, um, so I sort of became part of the Ford Long Distance um, um, program as such. And because uh, Bruce McLaren and I won it and won Le Mans in '66, so um, uh, that was important for me because I think as a direct result of that win in '66 at Le Mans, I was invited to go and go and see Mr. Ferrari and. Um, and ended up signing a contract uh, for for '67, so that was um, that was my next big sort of career step, I think. I want to ask you about Enzo, but I want to go back to Carroll Shelby. Obviously, for American fans, Carroll Shelby sadly no longer with us. Um, but I think his legacy will, uh, is only just beginning to come to light in terms. Now people are starting to talk. People in your era were part of what he did we're now beginning to get a better understanding of just what he was in terms of a driving force for racing. Absolutely, I mean, Carol um, did, a, I think, a remarkable job. He had, uh, 
uh, one of Carol's strengths was that he got some good people around him too. Um, he had some uh, uh, great guys in his, in his team, uh, Phil Remington, Carol Smith, guys like that. Uh, um, and the, Carol was, uh, Shelby himself was, um, I wouldn't say he was unflappable, but he was close to it because the, um, obviously the pressure uh, in both in 65 and 66 of Le Mans was huge. Um, there was very high expectations from uh, from Ford. Uh, they had um, uh, cars everywhere. Um, there was the big block cars, the uh, seven litre stuff, the small blocks, um, and they were having lots of technical problems with the um, uh, with the um, small block um, engines pre the race and um, it was uh, um, chaos on the outside it looked like chaos was reigning supreme but Carol was um, you know kept it all together and um, he did a, a remarkable job and uh, um, I've always had a you know a very good feelings for, for Carol and I was uh, very sorry when he passed on. But he must have been a, a very determined character because to go into what I would call the lion's den in Le Mans 24 hours, it was very much a European bastion, both from a point of view of drivers, I'm sure, and definitely from the marks that took part. So to take Ford there and effectively take it to them must have been a single-minded, um, you know, prerogative, I suppose. Very much so, because Carol himself had won at Le Mans in um, 1959, I think, at an Aston Martin, so he, he knew the ropes, but to, but to, um, to control the operation that he controlled there was... Um, yeah, you know, it was a huge effort. Um, uh, no, he's um, certainly, a, a, to me, a big part of motor racing history, um, and not just motorsport directly either. His, um, you know, his uh, his cars will live on in legend for a long time. And you, as we talked earlier, went on later to go then go to do the Daytona 24 Hours, and of all Igman, he did it in a Ferrari rather than a Ford. Ford, yes, yes. <laughs> How was yeah. that? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was my first um, first race for Ferrari, and uh, I've got to say, winning that wasn't a bad way to start off. Uh, at that point, we were—I um, w- I was one of uh, four drivers in the team, and uh, there was really only two places for Formula One in the, for the Grand Prix. So I was very conscious of the fact that I needed to make a fairly good impression fairly early to make sure I got a um, Formula One drive, so... Uh, Is that so, what sealed the deal for you and Ferrari, do you think? Um, well, I think it was important that I was quick from the beginning within the within the team, which I, happily I was able to be. Um, it was a... Um, that year was fairly uh, dramatic or traumatic uh, um, in that um, the first... Grand Prix that I did for them was Monaco, and because uh, I lost my teammate uh, Lorenzo Bandini in an accident there, and um, um, then at the uh, two races later, um, Mike Parks um, was driving. Uh, at that point, they were trying to run three cars. It was Mike Parks and Ludovico Scarfiotti. Um, Parks had a huge accident and never raced again in Formula One. Um, Scarfiotti retired or stopped as a result of, of that and suddenly from being one of four I was one of one um, and you know I was still only 23 and basically um, for the rest of 67 I sort of uh, I was the only only Ferrari in, the, in a Grand Prix and um, I, I became at that point very conscious of the fact that I was sort of trying to um, uh, well I was soldiering the whole Ferrari effort as such. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, you know, as I was saying to Daniel, listen to what a, a Ferrari driver of that era was up against. Yeah. yeah, interesting contrast to today. Yeah, and fascinating to hear from someone like Chris, um, lovely man, uh, may he rest in peace, and a great, great uh, Ferrari driver in his day. Uh, and obviously the winner of that that famous race. Interestingly enough, another footnote to 
uh, the film that we all watched. Um, and, of course, it was won by two New Zealanders, uh, Bruce McLaren and Chris Amon. And we all got the story of Ken Miles uh, in their photo finish. But what was also interesting is that four went back for the following three years and then continued to win. 67, Ford won again. This time, though, with A.J. Foyt and Dan Gurney. That's right. So, you know... <laughs> yeah, they did it. They really did do it. And, um, you know, I guess that was the dream for Ford to be the All-American um, champions. And they, yeah, and I, they were. I can't wait to go see the movie. I got to see it one more time before it gets out of the theaters. I haven't done it yet. I've, oh, you got it. Uh, you've seen it, what, twice? I've seen it twice already. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And if you haven't seen it, uh, it doesn't yeah. matter whether you have no interest in motor yeah. racing. Oh, yeah. To I, give I, you an idea, I mean, just globally, brought in $197 million in box yes. office sales. Yes. How is that? That's got to rise. No, I love things. that because that's just more more publicity for our sport. But it was well done. I know. I'm, it was. I, I always it was fear movie, going to, you know. I always fear going to a, a racing movie because very few have been done well. Yeah, but you know uh, what? Because you the know last so much few, about it. That's well, why. Yeah, right. but they, they don't do it very well. I mean, there have been some real disasters. But the last few that have Rush been Rush was superb. Yeah. I mean, the last few have been really good. Senna? Yeah. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to hear some more about Carol Shelby uh, from your from your buddy, Brian Redman. Yeah. All right, listen to Speed City. We'll be back after these messages. Winding Road Racing is your first and best choice for all the essentials for a great weekend at the track. We're racers, and we love helping racers. With a full selection of racing gear in stock, get geared up with all the safety equipment needed to meet all the latest Snell FIA and SFI regulations. Outfit your car with a comprehensive lineup of racing necessities, and when you need to find a few more tents, turn to data acquisition systems from AIM Sports, V-Box, and others. Austin-based with shops in California, Georgia, and Kentucky, the source for all your racing needs. Winding Road Racing, windingroadracing.com. As a rider, you know what you like. The power, the feel, the ride. When it comes to gear, you know what keeps you safe. Ducati Austin provides riders with the finest in day and easy leathers. The best the market offers. Visit Ducati Austin on Breaker Lane just east of I-35 and throw your leg over the most iconic sports bike ever built. Ducati. Even take it for a test ride. Or see what's been described as art on wheels from MV Augusta. You know what you like. See it at Ducati Austin. Online at DucatiAustin.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Talk 1370, the right choice. Hello, I'm Jenny Gow from BBC F1. You are listening to Speed City. Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City. Hey, I want to say thanks to Walter Mellon and Joe P42 watching us on Twitter and amongst others, a few other anonymous. Appreciate you tuning in that way and all Happy the people holidays, around Austin boys. listening. Yeah. Given it's a day of stats, can I give you one stat? Yes. 27. The number of Fords and Ferraris on the starting grid at the 1966 Le Mans. Oh, brilliant. Wow. 27. 13 American Fords, 14 Ferraris. Ah. <laughs> Talk about a serious fight. <laughs> that is It was awesome. pretty much... Actually, there was nearly half of the 55 competitors were either a Ford or a Ferrari. <laughs> hey, wow. I got a, uh, another interaction on social. Andy P., uh, one of our followers, regulars, he said... The McLaren man. He said, uh, wanted, <laughs> wanted to chime in on his best worst of 2019. Best for him was the USGP weekend. All the great US fans that he had the opportunity to meet. Worst 
was uh, losing Antoine Hubert in Spa. Ah, very true. Yeah. Uh, Reminder yeah, yeah, of how I, dangerous our sport is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we just, uh, I want to jump right in, Jonathan, because we've got two more interviews that, uh, that I want you to talk about with your, with your I say friend, more than a friend, Brian Redman. Yes, he was my, uh, well, he's my father's best friend, has been all his life, grew up together um, in Burnley, in Lancashire. Uh, he became a, a very, very uh, famous racing driver and is still racing historics uh, to this day in his 80s. But um, lovely man, um, competed in Le Mans 14 times and was very much in this era. Never won Le Mans, mind you. Um, um, but uh, in fact, that's one of the subjects uh, on a long interview. And we'll, we'll put some more of it uh, together. But I just thought it was apt, given that we've been talking about that era uh, and about some special guys. Um, and, and here is... Just one little snippet. There's plenty more to come. But him talking about that era of racing, what, what is without doubt one of the hardest races in the world, the Le Mans 24 hours. Well, you know, in the day it was very, very difficult. They didn't have the technical resources that they have today. They didn't have computers. They didn't have anything really. And Ford, in fact, when they started the program in the American part of the uh, GT40 Mark IIs, they, they in fact instituted some semi-computerized programs. They had one for the brakes, where they, the brakes were constantly applied on and off for 40 hours, and the same with the engines. They had a computer-controlled engine and gearbox program, so there was very early days for that. Now, of course, you really can't compare the cars in any way, uh, you know, from today until those days 40 years ago. For people who don't know, Le Mans, is its own Mount Everest of motorsport in many ways. I mean, you've won all the great races, but you attempted Le Mans so many times, as so many drivers do to this day. What is it about that event that wants to uh, a company like Ford or any driver worth his salt want to defeat, if not just compete in once? Well, it's certainly one of my greatest regrets, probably my greatest regret in my lengthy racing career that I never won Le Mans. Uh, I led four times, including by four laps in 1970, with Joe Siffert in the Porsche 917K. Four laps is 32 miles. We're 32 miles in the lead, you know, and uh, and Joe Siffert missed a gear right in front of the Porsche pits and the engine. Those engines, and you see, today you can't make the kind of mistake that happened to our car. We over-revved the engine. That engine on the 917 would go to 8,200 rpm for 40 hours if it went once to 8400 200 rpm more it broke and i can tell you it went to a lot more than 8400 when uh, joe missed a gear and so today what do they do they touch a little paddle down it's all paddle electronic shifting you can't change down too soon which happened a lot in the old days you come whistling into a corner you know you're going far down down you're bah, and you, you change into the lower gear too soon and blow the engine it can't happen today and so there are many, many huge advantages today, and especially in track safety, track safety, the runoff areas, and car safety. I mean, in the late 60s, one of the great fears of every racing driver was fire. I was in six fires between 68 and 72. And in 68, in my first Formula One Grand Prix season, only half the drivers wore seatbelts huh? because they'd rather be thrown out or have the chance of jumping out in the case of a fire. So it's, there's no, you can't compare it in any way. Plus, we got $750 a race. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's hardly danger money, is it really? Um, but Le Mans, as well as, a, as an event, is it the 24-hour factor of it? Is it the uh, endurance of the, the cars themselves? Because really, uh, many would argue that it's not about the drivers, it's about the manufacturers when it comes to Le Mans. But of course, it takes two, three, four drivers to be able to achieve it. Yeah. So it's an endurance on both sides, both human uh, and the mechanics as well, human-wise, but also on the mechanical side. And obviously, the victory is for Porsche or Ferrari or for Ford. Um, but it, it just seems like it's, and I've, I've been there with you with Aston Martin, it, it, it's hard enough staying awake as a spectator. I, I, I wouldn't, God forbid, try to attempt it to drive it. Um, is it that bigger mountain? Well, it is. Of course, in my day, it was only two drivers because today there's no question that the downforce produced by the car's aerodynamics is much greater. In my day, in my day, nobody thought about downforce. All they were interested in was straight line speed and lightweight. And so there was no minimum weight on the cars. Like a Porsche 917 weighed 1,700 pounds. 
that went 240 miles an hour. It went faster down the straight than, than the cars go today. Because in those days, it was four miles down the Malsan Strait, pretty well straight. And today there are two chicanes, which are difficult to negotiate. They're pretty quick by themselves, but they certainly add a great deal of difficulty to Le Mans itself, to the track itself. And so today it's much harder work, I think, for the drivers because of the downforce and because of the ability to late break, you know, late break, breaking later. So in many ways it's more difficult. And today, even a 24-hour race like Le Mans is a sprint race. The cars of the drivers are flat out from start to finish, just like it was a 20-lap race. So it's, it's harder in that respect. Fascinating, Gosh. isn't it? <laughs> you know, and, and it's no wonder. There's so many things I want to talk about in that interview. Yeah, I know. But you talk about the, the lightweight, you know, and, and this is when they were able to make just amount, as much horsepower as they wanted, right? Right. It's no wonder that this also coincides as the deadliest era in motorsports right. because yeah. they were just... They were going faster and faster and faster, and just these guys just had to be the bravest people on the planet. And you see some of the the results of those, and I swear the the bodies were of tinfoil, and you know, yeah, tinfoil and toothpicks they put it together. And I just am amazed that things weren't worse than they were. Yeah. What about that engine statistics where he could? He said the engine would last forever <laughs> at 40 eighty-two, hours, forty hours, at eighty-two hundred, but go eighty-four hundred, yeah. only two hundred RPMs higher, and the motor blows up. Yeah, yeah, that's got to be, you know, realize, you know, they're they're probably thinking harmonics. They're thinking, you know, speed of the, the mass that's moving and, and changing directions. I bet you're right. Harmonics. I was sitting here thinking a wear thing, but I bet you're right. I bet it's a, something like a harmonic where you that little change at 200 RPMs yeah. causes things to wobble out of control. Because you'll you'll notice a lot of things coming through, and there's a lot of math. We always think about that, you know, and, and, and you know one. You've been on the dyno enough. 52-52, what's special about it? Well, that's that is the that's how you that's how you uh, calculate torque. You do uh, fifty two fifty two times the RPM divided by something else. I can't remember, yeah. but that's how you that calculate is where torque. Horsepower and torque. Oh, are they equal. cross. Yeah. yeah, yeah, where they cross. I just find the whole thing fascinating. What mavericks those guys were! Uh, Two hundred and forty uh. miles an hour uh, down that Mulzahn Strait of four miles. I mean, you know, the likes can. of Eamon and Redmond. I don't think we will ever see the likes of those great Mavericks again. I, I really don't. Um, motor racing has changed, but I love delving into that uh, and learning about that and comparing it. How, how about well, that? $750? How much yeah, does Leclerc earn? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, John and I were speaking to Price Cobb, winner in, yeah. in 1990 about it. And he had the opportunity to, to drive the, the old generation of the track and the new one. And he said one of the things you don't realize in doing that is by the time you get to the end of that four-mile straight, your brakes are cold. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, there's a whole other problem. Yeah. And so how do you, yeah, how do you work around that? You probably, that's just it. You'd start touching them to yeah. try to get them up to temperature before you need them. Oh. Yeah, because if you just dove into them, yeah, you, the heat would, shock would, might destroy all the rotors or something. Probably would. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember him saying that. It was like, I had never thought of that. I'm thinking, oh, here's a nice long stretch. Just pin it, pin the throttle down. Relax, get your breath back. Okay, get back into it. It's like, no, 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 you don't well, have that. that you got to manage those temperatures. And that was one of the great innovations that Ford put into that 66. If you remember the film, they, they got those interchangeable brakes because that was a, an issue. They, they were overheating. Um, and so, you know, that they came up with this idea of completely changing the whole brake system in the middle of a pit stop, which, you know. Parts are parts. Parts are parts. <laughs> yeah. um, but that was what Carroll Shelby was, was a fantastic innovator, and so was his team, Phil Remington, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and I love what, I think it was Chris Amon in the earlier video said, uh, talking about how Shelby was, you know, we, I think of Shelby as this, you know, master sales guy and all this stuff, but he was also a cold car, he was a great driver, obviously, but right. also cold calculating and a steady hand yeah. to, to navigate through all of that. He won Le Mans himself in an Aston Martin in 1959. That's right. He's yeah. no fool. Yeah. Oh, man. And, you know, we think about all these, like you said, well, these guys aren't going to come along now, but we've got a couple living, right? You know, for one, you mentioned Price Cobb, but yep. Mario Andretti, you yeah. know, as, as huh. you know, the the best of the best of the yeah. best. In... Who, won the, who won the race in Japan in Rush? Yeah. Right. Ah, exactly. Mario Andretti. Exactly. Oh. Well, we are just about out of time. I want to make sure uh, we talk about um, all the things that we're going to be doing in 2020. Again, the same thing we did last year and the year before. We're going to be doing our uh, a live pre-race and post-race for every Formula One race. 
live on national radio. You'll have to go to our website to find out how to find that, speedcitybroadcast.com. And, um, and of course, we're going to be continuing our, our regular Sunday night show here. And we're going to be doing all lots of the commentary that we usually do out of, out of Coda, including Weck is back. Yes. Talking endurance championship. Yeah, yeah. Le Mans. And in uh, a six-hour race in the cold, maybe, in yeah. February. Maybe, yeah. It Disclaimer, be. it is But there'll be a happen. Corvette there that won't be cold. That's right. The Midigen Corvette will be in Austin in like 57 days from now. So, all You're right. Well, thanks, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in tonight. And we'll talk to you next week. Happy New Year. Ciao, y'all. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.